0: We're st- continuing the series of uh, Pirkei Avot. This is number 12 today, the 12th uh, lecture. And as you can, as you, as you know already, we're starting as of, as of now, an hour ago, we started Rosh Chodesh Elul. It's the month of Elul started. We have 30 days to the Judgment Days, the most critical 30 days of the year. As we're going closer and closer to Rosh Hashanah, now it's the time to start correcting which means if we owe money it's now time to pay back to friends, to relatives what loans that we took Uh, if we stole money now it's time to return it if you don't have the money to return at least to call these people and tell them I know I owe you such and such I don't have it right now let me give you 5% down let me give you 10% whatever you can afford the rest I'll give you next month and in two months, make some kind of things to satisfy the person. Because if you enter the, the trial, and there are people sitting and cursing you at home and upsetting you for what you did to them, your chances to succeed is very, very low. But if you're okay with everyone, even if you owe them, but they're okay with you because you started to pay, and they relaxed a little bit, then it's already a big achievement. Anyway, as you can see, there's a major, huge anger of Hashem on the world. What's going on? The flood in the Gulf with all the leak of the oil. Russia is burning. Thousands of acres in Russia are burning. Houses. It get to a point that they lost control on the fire. They had to dig a tunnel around the nuclear facility. Why? Because they already know they cannot put the fire off. And if they won't make a tunnel, you know what it is to make a tunnel around a big place like this? That's... You need uh, hundreds of tractors to dig. Why? Because To stop the fire. Because if not, the whole thing will go on fire and burn the entire area there. So it's problems. Problems everywhere. In Israel there's a lot of fires, a lot of anger on the wall. The, the economy here is not going any better. As they, they fooled the people for a few months, six months. They put a lot of money into the market to make it look like economy is going to be better. This money is running out. They call it now a second wave of recession. But we know that it's no second and no baloney. It's the same one. It's just you take a dead person and you give him some, some kind of uh, artificial uh, reviving uh, equipment. You keep him alive for two three more days, but then he's actually is a dead person as soon as you disconnect the oxygen he 's dead you know uh, that 's what the mechanics do when they want to sell a car with a dead engine. They have a trick to to make it drive another day or two doing, putting something in the engine when actually it 's finished, and it looks that it drives okay, but then two days later the engine dies. you know so this is it now we going back to what we started. We are four and a half chapters, uh, it's behind us. We started, we finished four and a half chapters, we have, it's six chapters all together, so Bezrat Hashem has a chance to finish the fifth chapter, and then we have one more chapter left. Last week we finished with speaking about tragedies who comes to the world for what? We spoke about seven different tragedies that come for seven different kinds of sins, People give 10%, they don't give 10% from the wheat And uh, we spoke about that subject And uh, today I will continue Bezrat Hashem With where we stopped last week And this is Mishnah, the ninth Mishnah Chaya uh, Ra'a Animals attacking people There's tragedies that connects to animals uh, today, it's not so common that you have animals that are attacking people. In the old days, it used to be a very common thing, Why? Right? The world was mostly desert or forests. You know, we we come in America, everywhere you go, New York City, Brooklyn, Queens, Israel, Europe, it's all build-up areas, buildings and houses, but they knocked down all the trees. There were millions and millions of trees. It was jungles, forests. They knock down the trees and they build houses and they made highways, so the animals were pushed off, pushed another ten mile and another ten mile, and they go into a concentrate areas so like in upstate New York. There's a lot of bears. Sometimes the bears they get confused, they get stuck in a city. All of a sudden, in months, you see a bear walking in the parking lot of a supermarket. He climb on a tree and they shot him two years ago. In the old days, the animals and the people were very close one to another. You walk out of your area, it's so many trees or deserts, there's so many animals out there. As soon as you walk to an area, remember, there was no lights. the animals controlling. So there were a lot of attacks, that animals used to attack people. When does animals get permission to attack people? that's what the Mishnah is speaking about. Al shvuat Shav, for more, too many people swearing in the name of Hashem for false testimony. Either a witness or a defendant When they make him hold the Torah and swear They swear, why? Just not to go to jail or not to get killed Or anything like that, they swear This is one reason The next reason is Chilul Hashem Chilul Hashem Hashem Chilu means that you By your behaving, making Bad reputation to Judaism Judaism is, uh, is The masterpiece of the creator of the world He made it, he wrote it, he gave the Torah and you have obligations to keep, and you ignore it, or you behave the opposite of what you required. and the goyim and, and other Jews that looks at you and say, hey, this is their religion, this is how a, an observant Jew has to be, so that means it's all baloney. Ah, what? what Torah, what? The religious people, they steal, they curse, they cheat, they don't have mercy in a business, I owe them money, they threaten me like a, like a gangster. Where is this Torah? What's going on here? Right, so when people see that religious people behave like this, it makes bad reputation. The people who made the religion bad reputation, they bring the tragedy of animals attacking people in the world. It brings judgment to the world. By the way, I said in um, in my lecture when I spoke about Gehennom hell. It's not on the website, but there is a there is seven different layers, seven different uh, levels. The lowest level, it's called Tachtita Aretz. There are three sins that people who make them go to the worst place, which is called Tachtita Aretz. Tachtita Aretz in English means bottom of the earth, which means there is one, two, three, four, the seventh one, the lowest one is the worst place. All the other six categories, a person that goes there, he gets punished for his sins, it cleans the soul, it purifies the soul, and once the soul becomes clean and pure as it was in the day of the creation, the soul comes out of there and goes to heaven based on the, on the credits and the, and the mitzvot that this person made, the, the good deeds. But the seventh player, if a person enters there, that's the end of the story. The soul never comes out of there. Stays there for eternity. And that's horrible. What are the three scenes that a person does that gets him there? One is not observing the Sabbath. Second, wasting seed. It's more applying for men, but women also is the cause of it. So so she's also a part of the sin. And Chilul Hashem. Chilul Hashem. This is what we're talking here about. Chilul Hashem means disgracing the name of Hashem, the reputation of the Torah. So everything I say, it's subject to not making tshuva. If a person did not make repentance, that's what happens to him, God forbid. But if he makes tshuva... Before he dies, that change his studies completely, from wicked to a righteous person. And if you want to know how to make tshuva, now it's the right time. We don't, we don't have that much time left. It's a month before the judgment day. Go into my website. Enter the series of the tshuva. Tshuva part one, part two, part three. Repentance. And if you Bezrat Hashem, look over there, it's going to give you the instruction how to make repentance, in the right way, in a proper way. Then... One other sin, one other sin that brings tragedies to the world, bad animals comes to the world, is not keeping shnat shmita. The seventh year, every seven year cycle, Hashem said that the farmers, remember, in the old days almost everyone was a farmer to some extent. People grew up tomatoes. And oranges, and, and cucumbers, and lettuce, whatever they grew, they grew in their, in their backyard. You know, things that are, used, are being used every day, people grew in their own, their own territory. But most people made Parnassa from being farmers, wheat, barley, all these things. Every seven years, every cycle of seven years, Jews are obligated in Israel, in the Holy Land, not to take anything from the land. To leave the land alone, not to give water, not to plow the ground, not to clean, not to do anything. That's called Shnat shmitah. You have to give rest to the land, to renew itself, and then you start again. And Hashem promised that in the 6th, and the 7th, and the 8th the years, what's going to happen? If in the 7th year you're not allowed to cut anything, how are you going to have food? So in the 6th year, you're going to have so much blessing, the Torah promised, that you're going to get triple of the amount of a normal year. If in the fifth year you get uh, 100,000 ton of wheat, for instance, so then on the sixth year, which is one year after the fifth year, you're going to get 300,000. Three times more, in average. Plus, minus. Why? To have enough for the sixth year, to have enough for the seventh year that you're not allowed to cut, and for the eighth year. At least few months to go in the eight years until you go back to business. It's very interesting. There used to be an a rabbi. His name was Rav Mordecai Sharabi. He's a very big tzaddik. Yemenite. Passed away, I don't know, 30 years ago. And uh, this Rav Mordecai Sharabi was a... a, First of all, he had a computer head. He was sitting in a Gemara, teaching Gemara, without even a Gemara. He knew what he was teaching by heart. That's how big he was. Of course, he was a big Kabbalist. And he was growing some vegetables in his yard in his backyard. And every year on the sixth year, he made sure to take his current students to his house for a tour. What? To see the cucumbers and the tomatoes and everything that he was growing. He said, you see, remember last year? Come and see how much more this year. He showed them the the, the magic, the the promise that the Torah made in their own eyes. They were saying, you know, the Rav was taking us to his place always three times more to have enough For the next year and the year after. So not keeping Shvit, not keeping the Shnat Shemitah, bringing this judgment to the world. Then there is a a disease called Dever. Dever, this is one one of the sicknesses that Hashem brought in Egypt for the Egyptians. And this, this disease comes to the world for few reasons. What's the reasons for this disease to come? When, uh, when first of all, the devil comes. The devil comes in a fourth year, in a cycle of seven years, Shnat Shemitah. We have the fourth year, the seventh year, and, and the end of the seventh year, mainly. Why, why? Because this is the year that we have to give, it's called Maaser Ani. Maaser Ani. When you plant a tree, first three years you're not allowed to enjoy from the fruit. You plant a tree in Israel, first three years you're not touching the fruit. You put an orange tree, it's growing. First year, let's see, it have fruit after a year or two. You're not taking the fruit. If they fall, they fall. They, you're not allowed to enjoy from it. It's called orlah, Orla. After the third year, the fourth year, you have to, this is, well, you have to take it to Jerusalem and eat it over there. And if people did not keep the Shemitah and all that... The Dever used to come in the fourth year. This is why, because they are supposed to take it to Yerushalayim and give it to the poor people, but they didn't do it. So that brought strong judgment in the world. And on Shnach mitah, because they didn't keep Shnach mitah. so during the seventh year, and especially in the end of the seventh year, which is the end of that seven year cycle, there's more anger in the world. People used to die from this epidemic that called Dever. We don't have it today, this disease, Baruch Hashem. And then Then It's uh, Then we're going We're moving on to the next Mishnah Mishnah Ten. There are four different kinds of people Four You can share humanity to four different categories Arba Midot Ba'adam Midot means traits What are the traits of the people, right? We can divide them To four different categories Now let's review what I'm saying here to see in which category we are in. Are we in first, second, third or fourth category? Now, what are the four categories? Let's start. The first category is a person who says, Mine is mine, everything that I own it's mine, and everything you own is yours. You know, like two roommates. They went to Yeshiva, you have a refrigerator in your room, you buy some stuff he put in, your friends buy some stuff he puts in, so you write your name on yours, he writes his name on his, you don't touch mine, I don't touch yours. That's most likely what most people do, in colleges, in the army, and places that you have a public refrigerator or cabinets, that's what people do. That's called a mediocre person. Not good, but not bad, in, our, in the middle. Some disagree and say, no, that's called Midat Zdom. That's like the people of Zdom. You don't touch mine, I don't touch yours. But for Halacha, it's called Mida Benonit. Benonit means in, in the middle, mediocre. The next category, mine is mine, and yours is also mine. That's what most people are. That's the most common thing, Why? I give you an example, like let's say sometimes you come, you two, two kids or two teenage teenagers, they had a fight. So you ask the guy that is upset now, Ruben why are you upset at Shimon? It's annoying, he sits on my bed, I fix my bed, I come to my room, I see he's sitting on my bed. I told him, don't sit on my bed. He has a point, right? He made up the sheets, the blankets, it's all straight, nice, like, you know. He came, not saw it wrinkled now. It went a little bit off the bed. He has a point. There's only one problem. Let's put a camera there for the last month, retroactive, and see how many times Ruben sat on his bed. So if he does it to me, I'm ready to kill. When I do it to him, what's the problem? Big deal, I sat on your bed. But just a week ago, somebody sat on your bed. You're ready to kill him. Oh, somebody put a a bottle of soda in the fridge. You are very thirsty. You came after sport. You know, you didn't want to drink water from the faucet. In America, it's against the law. You know, God forbid you drink water from the faucet. (laughs) You know, uh, when people see me taking water from the faucet, they look at me like I'm crazy. What? You drink this water? Oh, you kill me, I can't. (laughs) I'm surprised. Yeah, oh, God forbid we drink water from the faucet. So anyway... So what's going on here? You thirsty? You take from his coke. You drink. Say later when he comes back. Say hey I drank uh, a little bit from your coke. No problem. A month later, somebody drank from yours. Ah! Lashon the entire place. See, this guy is a thief. You do the same thing. No, no problem. A person doesn't see he's negative, but he sees every little thing about others. That's called mine is mine, yours is also mine. Okay, how do we call this category? Amaretz, amaretz, ignorant, ignorant. Why we call it amaretz? We should have said rasha, no, wicked. If everything that I own is mine and everything he owns is also mine, that's called greedy, stingy. I don't know. Find a word for it. But it's it's far away from being ignorant. That's just a bad person. Ignorant, someone has no idea what's going on. He never learns. So he's empty. It's very, very interesting. So, the explanation of that is that sometimes you use the, the verse, the, the, the term, Ama arets ignorant, not necessarily only to somebody who doesn't know anything. Sometimes it's a person that doesn't have culture. It's not the case. It doesn't have culture. It's no manners. That's called no manners. That's what it means right now. It may know, but it still doesn't have the right manners. The third category mine is yours, and yours is also yours. Everything that I have, you're free to use. Don't ask me permission. I brought cake, you can eat it. I brought bread, it's yours. I brought drink, it's yours. And yours, I don't attach anything from yours. I don't want to owe anybody anything. Yours is yours. Whatever I have, you can have. What is it? It's called Hasid. Hasid means, it's called Lifni Mishurat I'm willing to do something that I'm not even obligated from the Torah. Nowhere the Torah told you to be a fool. Everything is mine, is yours. And yours is also yours. And i have left with nothing. Let's call it generosity. This is a person that is very generous. And the fourth category... Mine is mine. Oh, one second. Yeah, we already said uh, uh no sheli shalach veshalcha sheli. Oh, what I said before, I have to correct myself. What I say, mine is yours and yours is mine. Like I buy uh, this pita bread and you buy it from another grocery. Let's rep- always I buy this, you t- you eat mine and I eat yours. What's the? That's called amaret. That's called ignorant. That's called a person that is ignorant. Now we're coming to what I said before, we have to be wicked. What? Mine is mine, and yours is also mine. That's like a thief. I'm not willing to give anything, but I want everything that you have to be also mine. This is four different categories of people. We're speaking, obviously, about generosity, being stingy or not. And one other Mishnah, the, the 11th Mishnah, there are four different kind of people when it comes to thinking, to behaving. What are they? The first category is a person that gets angry quickly. Right away. You make a beep, is ready to kill you. Uh, your mother came here an hour ago. Yes, yeah, so what's the problem? No, 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 I just wanted to tell you, your mother was here, she can't, she can't say hello. No, no, that's not what he wanted to say. <laughs> a minute later he takes his machine gun. I know a person, when I was a kid, I used to go buy ice cream from him. Whatever, I'm not going to tell you from what nationality he was. i let you use your head a little bit. As soon as I used to come and say, hello, Mr. Moshe, he looks at me, ready to kill me. Don't ask hello. Shh, don't talk. (laughs) What happened? As soon as you say hello, you come to his store, he gets angry. One time I had to replace the ice cream. I wanted one flavor. By mistake, I put a different one. He started to wrap it with the newspaper. You know, used to be they roll it with a newspaper. I said, no, no, I'm sorry, I took the wrong one. Oh, forget it. For a week I couldn't come there anymore until you forget that incident. Somebody like this, how can you marry him? How can you be around him? So that's called, gets angry right away, but, at the same time, all he needs is five minutes to relax. Leave me alone, leave me alone. Five minutes later, his breath comes back. He's not angry anymore. He's willing to shake your hand, hug you, no problem, forget what happened. We're back to place, to the right place. No. Second, uh, so the, the Mishnah say, Very foolish. What did you gain by being angry for five minutes? Would be better off not to. You're already very close to be perfect. Just don't be angry for two, three minutes, and everything will be perfect. If you're angry for 10 hours, for 10 days, for 10 years, I know people, if you do one little thing to them, one little thing to them, they will never forget it. I have a friend, nice guy, nice guy. He has a lot of great things about him. But has one major problem about him. He just cannot overcome that problem. I'll, I'll tell you a story that happened to him, and you tell me what's going on here. One time his friend, his friend is a gardener. He's you know doing grass, you know, taking care of gardening. So his friend needed the help. So he told him, "What are you doing today? i am I'm, I'm, today I'm home. I don't have work. So you want to come work with me? How much you pay me? X amount of money per hour. Okay, I'll come with you. Then in lunchtime, there's a uh, goyim workers, you know, all the Spanish workers. Now it's lunchtime, so the boss that called this guy, he told him, "I'm going to get lunch for them. Watch them around, watch them because maybe sometimes they steal things and disappear. Every tool here can be hundreds of dollars. I don't know them. I I pick them up from there's a place that all of them will stand, like two hundreds of them every morning, and they wait for somebody to come give them job. They stand over there in intersection in Muncie, you pass by if you need a worker for the day, they all, as soon as they see a car slowing down, 20 people jump. Trabajo, senor, trabajo, trabajo! <laughs> by the way, you know, that's the, that's the situation, you know, so he doesn't know them. So if they come, he pays them ten thousand an hour, he goes now to lunch, he doesn't know who they are. Probably they're not even legal in this country, he doesn't know their name, nothing. So he can't. by the time he comes back, one sword that can be $500 is disappeared. So he told my friend, watch them. He comes back after half an hour, one of them disappeared with one tool that worth $50. So he was supposed to pay him, I don't know, $80 for the day of work. So he took it off his paycheck. In other words, he was supposed to pay him at the end of the day, let's say, $80. He said, it's your fault. I put you responsible to watch them. Why I didn't watch the guy? He stole something that it's $50. I'm taking it off from your money. This was, by now, more than 10 years ago, that story. <laughs> Every time until this day, he hears the name of that gardener, it's like he hears the name Hitler. That's how he reacts. The guy got married. Don't. He say he sent you an invitation. I don't even want to open it. Don't talk to me about it. I said, come on, 50 bucks, come, I'll give you, You voted for me, I'll give you the 50 dollars to make peace with him. To make peace between two Jews. And the other guy is a very nice person. It's not a bad person. He may probably came back, he got angry. I put you to watch and you don't care, you know. So he took care. Bottom line, the guy had a baby, <laughs> he doesn't want to hear from it. Everywhere he goes, he doesn't want to come. The guy goes to pray in this shul, no, I'm not going there. Ten years later, it's like it happened a minute ago. He never forgets. Ten years, for what? For what? There are people like this. Very difficult for them to forgive. But here we're talking about a guy, he got very angry, he's ready to kill you. Five minutes later, he drank a glass of water, he's okay. No problem, forget it, we're okay now. That's the Mishnah say, he loses more than he makes. The second category, kashelikos, very difficult to get him angry. It's very cool. he has patience, he doesn't jump like this, he doesn't have temper. But finally, if you got him angry, it will be very difficult to make him pleased after that. You know, yeah, he has a lot of patience for you, but make sure you don't cross the red line. Once you cross the line to make him happy, it will be very difficult the The Mishnah says also not good. what's the point? Then the third category very very difficult to get him angry, maybe once in ten years. you really had to do something horrible for him to get upset, really, really, so not only hardly ever becomes angry, hardly ever. Finally, if he gets angry, two minutes later he said, no problem, no hard feeling, let's forget that it's happened, I forgive you, goodbye. Let's call Hasid. We are people, we're not angels. You cannot live seven years and not get angry even once. Even though I know one person, my first rabbi who taught me G'mara, I'm willing to swear that he never got angry in his entire life. He should be about 60 years old today. He doesn't know what it means to get angry. Every second of his day, is smiling, he's in the moon. If you wouldn't know he's a big tzaddik that learns Torah all his life, and you see him without his Jewish image, you will be sure that he's on high drugs. That's how he looks. But of course, he doesn't even know what cigarette is. Not only that, this person is, you know, I mean, you can review him. You take a video camera and film his day. One week you film him. It's going to make a revolution in the entire world, even by the goyim. When they see how a real kosher Jew behaves every day. You know, I mean, hard to believe. Never get angry, always smiling, always in the moon. Walk on the street, he put walkman, not to waste time. Obviously, he doesn't drive a car, in his own world. So when he walks on the street, he has a suitcase full of heavy books. All day he carries this suitcase everywhere he goes. He goes from one yeshiva to the other. He teaches here, he teaches there, he goes to pray. He has this big bag full of books. And he puts Walkman. And he's such a humble person. He knows the whole Torah by heart. What does he listen to? Rabbi Amnon Nitzchak. <laughs> so one time I told him, Rabbi, you walk with a walkman in the street? cannot hang to him, you want to give him a ride, he doesn't need, because he has this walkman. So I once, uh, I stopped, I was calling him, trying to get his attention, I see, so what are you listening to? He said, I love this guy, this Rav, you know, I said, who is this? He said, I <laughs> I said to him, oh Rav, you, you like uh, the Kiruv the, the, the stuff? He said, yeah, it makes me make Tshuva all the time, this guy never made a scene in his life. He wants to make tshuva. We are full of baloney and what do we have with tshuva? That's the way it is. I always say the more intelligent you are, the more righteous you are, the more you recognize how far you are from the truth. The more loser you are, the more far away you are, you are. I'm perfect. I'm, I have VIP rabbi, first row in heaven. I'm between Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai and Rabbi Akiva. I bought my chair there on the stage with Moshe Rabbeinu. What do you want? What? I'm such a great husband. <laughs> what do you do for your wife? I never beat her up. <laughs> once in a while I take the garbage out. Thank you. You're such a tzaddik. I don't play pool. I, I come home at 8 o'clock at night. I learn Torah once a week. Come on, my friend. <laughs> the more people know, the more they learn, the more they... Oh, wow. I'm so far from the real target. So this is it. So, you know, this Rav is uh, one time I went to him to, in Purim. You know, Purim, it's mitzvah to drink some wine. So he drank wine. He was in a very good mood, like half drunk. We went in, a bunch of guys, bringing Mishloach Manot. So since he was in a high mood, he's very humbled always. So he, he looks at us, we kissed his hand. Now, By the Ashkenazim, it's not so popular to kiss the hand of the rabbi. By Sfaradim, everyone they see, they kiss his hand. And if you have long beard, even if you're the biggest thief, they come to kiss your hand. But, you know, so he's impressed by the respect that Sfaradim gives the rabbi. So he started to say to his uh, son in law, Look at this Sfaradim, how they respect the rabbis, how they kiss their head. I started. He was in a the mood. Then he started to say, You know, You came in the right time. You tell me any verse in the Tanakh, and I'll give you a one-hour lecture about it. (laughs) So One guy was standing there. He gave him the hardest verse you can think of. It's like Chinese. Don't understand one word. Take the professor for Hebrew in university. He doesn't know anything. We thought he's going to say, Oh, what is this? Give me something that we know. (laughs) I started to shoot for an hour he's talking and we already left he's continued to talk it's in a different world full of Torah full of Torah and humbled one time I stopped in the street to pick him up I said Rabbi you don't recognize me I took you so many times in the car I gave you rides. I said I never look at the car he doesn't recognize the car maybe a hundred times in the last year we went back and forth in the car when I finally he was trying to cross the street I hung he doesn't hear so i went I blocked his way on the on the sidewalk, and I try to get my head to the other window for him to see me so i try- i see him trying to go around the car i, I scream, oh my, well you don't recognize the car?" He said, "No, no, I never looked at the car <laughs> <laughs> what are you? Today, why the Jew does the first thing when he meets a person? Five hundred times he check what car he drives, <laughs> then he check his watch, then he check his shoes. If he wouldn't be embarrassed, he would try to see what suit he wear. <laughs> yeah. The new generation today in the yeshivot, the kids come. How are you doing, brother? Ah. <laughs> you're not. You're not one of us. Ah, your suit is less than fifty bucks. Go. <laughs> Empty, empty. When people are empty, that's what they pay attention to. You know, one time I came to Yeshiva. There we were with three guys in the Gemara Shiur. I was late a few minutes. One guy that day wasn't there at all. And there was one guy over there sleeping from the lunchtime. His head is down. He, he figure when the rabbi will come, he'll wake me up. The Shiur starts. The shiur starts. I come 10 minutes late. I see the rabbi with the Gemara open. He talks. He reads the Gemara, and I see this guy sleeping, the other guy is not there, and I just, behind him, he doesn't see me. I'm standing there for a few minutes, a few seconds, I see he's talking to the wall. So then I come around, I see the rabbi, hello. I, who are you talking to, rabbi? I said to him, rabbi, don't you see he's snoring, he's sleeping. I said, ah, don't worry, probably had a long night, he went to sleep very late. I say, yeah, but what's the point? You don't want to wake him up fine. Who are you talking to? He said, no, he's Neshama ears. he's soul ears. <laughs> this is what we told you. Somebody like this, I promise you, no matter what you do to him, you beat him up, you insult him, you take away his bag, whatever, he will never get angry. Never, never. He doesn't know what does means mean to be angry. I once asked him, I said, Rabbi, did you ever get angry, ever, one time in your life? So he started to get embarrassed, you know, so he got red. He started to smile, no, no, like he doesn't know what it means. This is it. Somebody like this, if you ever get him angry once in a blue moon, we you know, the Gemara said that somebody made a bet. He said, I want you to go and get Hillel Azaken angry. Hillel, later he became the president of the Sanhedrin. So he said, I want you to get the Rabbi angry. I'll give you 400 zoos, whatever, a lot of money. We'll make a bet if you get him angry. The guy said, of course I'll get him angry. He came, he started to ask him all kinds of annoying questions. Whatever he answered, he gives him a, a weird question. And another one, to get him to lose his patience. After X amount of time, he saw no chance to get his rabbi angry. So he said to him, Rabbi, I was just playing with you. I just wanted to get you angry to make money. Because of you, I lost 400. So he told him, it's better you lose 400 and don't get me angry. (laughs) In other words, if I would get angry, Hashem will clear you from the face of the earth. You come to mess with the wrong guy. Better you lose the money and be quiet. You know, you have to know who to get angry. Anyway, so it's very rare that he's getting angry, but at the same time, when he gets angry, right away he forgives. And the last category, as soon as he sees you, he goes crazy. He didn't even open your mouth. He's ready to kill you. And finally, ten years later, he still doesn't want to forget. <laughs> Not only in foolish reasons to get angry, ten years later he still remembers what happened. Let's call Rasha. Four different categories. So we spoke about generosity, we spoke about anger. What's the next one? Students. Who is considered a good student? Arba Batalmidim. Four different kinds of students. One understands right away, but forgets everything right away. He gives you... Like in a lecture, some people, as soon as you, the rabbi starts his uh, sentence, he got the point. You ask him by the door, by the end of the lecture, what did the rabbi spoke about? Uh, uh, I don't know, I can't remember. By the he forgets. You may ask, what's the point of coming to a lecture? The answer is, when a person dies and his soul gets out of the body, all the Torah he ever heard comes back. Nothing goes out of the soul. The soul registers everything even when you sleep. When you sleep, if you put a tape, when you come in front of Hashem with the soul only, without the body, even the Torah you heard what the player, the tape was playing, the tape was playing, you remember. I know a guy, he puts the tape the, in, on, on a repeat. You know, repeat all night as is a, is a, is an hour lecture, all night it plays. So, yeah so what's the, he has MP3, he goes from uh, one, he finished this, he goes to the next one, goes to the next one, until he finished all the lecture, he goes to the beginning. What's the point when he sleeps? He said, Why do I care? It goes into the soul. One day, it all comes back, because the soul records everything in the subconscious, everything has been recorded. What's the proof that that's the way it is? Hypnotize him hypnotize him when he wake up, and see that whatever he did not remember before he started hypnotizing him, he didn't remember. Once you're hypnotizing him, and you ask him what happened half an hour ago, he begins to say word by word from what he heard on the tape. Why? It's all recorded. Everything you see, everything you hear, everything you ever thought about, it's all recorded in your subconscious. So, you know, I once gave an example with a nail. Did you ever hear that example or no? A woman, see her husband, came from the bus stop and he's walking home. He walks for 10 minutes. He looks at the floor. By the time he came home, she asked him, Moshe, can you describe to me everything you saw on the floor? He said, where? He said, on the street. So who cares about the floor in the street now? She said, no, I've been, seeing, I've been watching you and I see that you, look, you stare at the floor. He said, no, I was thinking about what happened at work. You think I care about the floor? Okay, end of story. Two minutes later... She comes to hang a picture, and she's looking for a nail. Checking in the drawers, checking everywhere, she can't find a nail. So she says, you know what, it's a shame, I want to hang this picture so bad, and I cannot find a nail. He says, oh, wait a minute, I saw a nail on the street, let me go get it to you. He runs quickly downstairs, she looks from the window, he goes exactly, you know where the nail is, he picks it up, he comes, he says, here is a nail, you can hang your picture. So she asks him, I don't get it, I ask you now to tell me everything you saw on the floor. You couldn't tell me one thing. Now I needed a nail. You know exactly where the nail is in, in one mile of distance? What's going on here? The brain of a person has two categories, conscious and subconscious. Conscious works all the time. So whatever you hear and you function, it always stays in the, front, in, the, in the front of your head. Because you need it for every hour. Things that are rare that you once in a while need them automatically, the brain sends them to storage. You don't pay attention. Every beep on the street, every siren, everything, wind, noise, rain, people are talking on the street. You don't even pay attention to it. Why do I care what they talk over there? I walk on the street. Now, if I hypnotize you, you'll be able to see everything that happened that day. you know every beep that took millions of people talking. Everything is recorded in the soul. The soul has no limitation. It's divine 100%, like God's. So the soul records everything. That's why the Torah is very strict about not to look at bad things, not modest things, not dirty movies, not to listen to dirty music, because even if you make tshuva, it stays in your subconscious forever. You cannot erase it. It stays there. It's a stain in your soul. That's why the Torah says, "Watch your eyes very carefully. Watch your ears. Watch what you hear. Watch what you watch. Everything you do." So he understands everything right away but at the same time forgets right away everything then second kind of students very difficult for them to understand very difficult but finally when they understand they'll remember it forever finally when he got the point you ask him 10 years later he still remembers what he learned you know the Gemara said that there was a rabbi Rabbi Preda, his name was Rabbi Preda is one of the chief rabbis of the generation, and every day he teaches a student 400 times a page of Gemara. 400 times, one day, in one day. Again, and again, and again, until he catches the point. One time the rabbi had a business meeting in the afternoon, so he came early in the morning to the yeshiva, and he told his student, today I want you to be extra careful and try to remember and to pay attention to everything I'm going to teach you. So the student asked him, what happened, Rabbi? So he said, I have a meeting, an important business meeting. I have to leave early today. So try to understand faster today. So around 3 o'clock in the afternoon, the Rabbi said, "Okay, 400 times we finish. I hope you got it, no? So the student said, I don't understand anything today. So the Rabbi said, I don't understand. Every day, 400 times you understand. Today I told you 400 times Even Just today when I need you to know faster Even 400 times is not enough Okay You couldn't learn faster But at least learn the same way you learn every day So the student told him Rabbi I'm so sorry From the minute you told me to be focused I, I got so nervous I couldn't think You know these people when they're under pressure Their brain freeze They cannot think, make a right, make a left They freeze So the rabbi said, okay, forget about the business meeting. Let's start from the beginning. He taught him 400 times extra, till the night. So the Gemara says, in heaven, Hashem announced that he's going to live 400 years in this world. And him and everyone from his generation that didn't have a share to the world to come, is going to have a chance to inherit the world to come thanks to his merit. Just for that, sometimes, yeah, it's not a, it's a big thing what he did. How many people in the history would go and do such a thing? But after all, it's one day. One day, efforts. For that, Hashem was willing to give him a lot. Rabbi Preda. For the student, his student was very hard to understand, but finally when he understands, he understands. Then the third category is, He understands very quick, very sharp, and also remembers everything he understands. That's called Chacham, a real Chacham. Everything he understands right away, and everything he, un- he remembers right away. You come two, two, three weeks later, what did you learn two weeks ago? He knows. <laughs> there was one guy, when I, when I was in Yeshiva, many years ago, <laughs> he was the champion of South America for MATH. You know, Venezuela, Argentina, Brazil, all the countries, they had a competition Who is the greatest mathematician. And this guy, his name is Abraham Ben Siksu. That's his name. He's a Jew from Venezuela. He came to America from Venezuela. Two years he's in Yeshiva. Two years. Today he's in Israel. Right away he went to the best yeshiva in Israel After two years But the two years that he was there in Mansi, The chief rabbis of the yeshiva Was asking him questions They learned 40 years He learns two years Two years, every page he learned He knew by heart I used to go and ask him Avraham, I know there's a Tosfot In uh, one, of, uh, one of the places in the Talmud That speaks about that So wait one second it's like he pressing a button in his head. Oh, one second, oh, he pulled the Gemara, hundreds of books. Oh, right away, here, it's right here. Every question, everything he ever learned, right away, he remembers everything. One time I had a not religious guy, also with photographic memory. His name, Giora Kuczynski. Remember this name, I'm looking for him for more than ten years. I used to give lectures on every Monday, Monday is a blessed day for me Monday night series two years in one place It's on main street and 68 right there the, the, the house of Dr. Morad if you know who he is right there in a the corner I used to, there used to be a, a bunch of people living there renting the place I used to give lecture. Israelis coming until 3, 4 in the morning every every Monday one time there's one not religious Ashkenazi guy his name is Giora Kuczynski shows up out of nowhere came to the lecture. we sitting, we arguing. I see this guy is very, very smart. Right? The way I see from the way he asks questions. It's not religious, but he knows a lot. I'm arguing with him. He asked me a question about King David, Malchut Bet David, something the Prophet Samuel said. I asked the woman that lives there, do you have a, a Tanakhir? With the, with the prophets in it? She said, no, we don't have it. I said, those, that day I didn't have my laptop. Usually I take my laptop right away. I get it out. So I was without my laptop there. So I asked, so I told him, we don't have the book. I have to look at the past to know what to answer you. So we continued, so I said, I have it in my home. I live two blocks away. So I, I said, okay, let's go to your house. Four o'clock in the morning, we went to his house. We continued the argument until five thirty in the morning. But before we went to his house, I see that I'm talking to him and he's doing, he has a notebook. He has the pen, and he supposedly he's writing. I say to myself, what a devoted guy. Everything I say he writes, professional. a nice debate. Then I got up, I got a little bit closer to him, I see he's playing games. <laughs> he doesn't write anything. X, zero, you play games. So I told him, I don't get it. ma. I'm speaking to you as, as two intelligent people, and this is the respect you give. You're playing games in your notebook. So he looks at me and says, I don't understand what's the problem. Why, I didn't answer you to the point? Why? So I said, no, no, you, you answer to the point. He said, I always do more than one thing at the same time. Don't get uh, excited. So I say, I saw right away something is not right here. I said, what do you mean you do more than one thing? He said, yeah, I'll give you an example. He said, you can tell me a number with 30 digits and you let me look at the 30 numbers and I, I look at that 30 second and I'll tell you the 30 numbers from left to right and from right to left by heart so you know what's the first thing came to my mind It has to be a trick here probably knows how to divide the 30 numbers so I told him what happened if I write 35 numbers he's still gonna be able to do it. even a hundred I just need a minute a little bit more time to look at that. I told the girl over there, please write thirty-three digits on a piece of paper and give it to me. She writes thirty-three digits on a little square yellow note, you know, those sticking sticking note. She writes thirty-three digits, she gives it to me, I give it to him. He looks at it like this, not even fifteen seconds. He gives it back to me, he says, Okay. I say you say okay, say say from left to right or from right to left? I say from the end to the beginning, in reverse told me all the numbers. So now I knew, oh, wait a minute, this guy deserves special attention. It's not an ordinary person. I went, I continued the arguments with him. Finally, we got to the point that he asked me this question from the Prophet. We don't have the Prophet. So we got up and we walked to his home. We continue another hour over there. Now it's morning already. By the end of the argument, he said, okay, you answer my question. Fine, very good. But, you know, I still have a lot of other questions. I say, you know what, I have an idea, I have a book here, it's called uh, 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 Path to Emuna, to, to Fate. Uh, one rabbi wrote it in Israel, Rabbi Gabay, very good book, very recommended in Hebrew. So I said, you know what, I'll give you the book. It's all the proofs about the Torah, the oral Torah, life after life, scientific proofs. Read the book, write comments, call me, and, and we continue the argument. Why should we waste time? All the answers is in his book. So he said, okay, what's your number? So I, so I told him, write down the number. He said, no, no, just tell me the number. So I, so I said to him, ah, you, you're not serious. So he said, why, why? Every number I ever heard in my life since I'm a little kid, I can tell you all of them by heart now. Thousands of numbers. You tell me anybody you want, I'll tell you his telephone number. <laughs> now I started to shake. So I told him, really, say, yeah. So I can tell you the numbers. Now remember, this is two hours in the other house. I have the, the note in my pocket. So he said, I can tell you the numbers. So I pull out the numbers. I pull out the numbers and I say, yeah, hey, tell me the numbers. So he says... All the numbers, he asked me from left to right or from right to left. I told him in reverse, he told me all the numbers. So he said, don't worry, I don't have to write your telephone number. I gave him the telephone number and I left. I left, okay. I didn't hear any phone calls from him, nothing. Ten days later, actually nine days later, it was Wednesday night, I went to Main Street, there's a bakery there, in Main Street and 68 there. I walk into the bakery to buy some bread, who do I see? His roommate. Oren, how are you? What's with Nior? He never called me. I gave him the book. He said, ah, he's busy. He's looking for a job in Wall Street. He's making phone calls all day, interviews, this. I said, did he read the book? He said, I don't know. Maybe. I don't think so. But he's in the house. You can come see him now. So let's go. <laughs> we walked. As I come, he comes out of the apartment. He has mail. He goes to to send his mail. So he looks at me, oh, not you again. <laughs> I say, did you read the book? I say, no, I'm sorry, I didn't have time. But I can tell you the numbers. <laughs> I have to understand, for nine days, I walk everywhere, everyone everyone I speak to, I say, you're not going to believe what I just saw. A person with a computer brain. So I say, hey, what's the number? Nine days later, he told me all the numbers. Somebody like this, he would learn Torah, one year, he knows what an average person learns in 20 years. Why? Because we have to repeat everything 10 times until we remember it. Again, and you learn it again and again. Maybe you remember it. He reads it once. Up, oh, It's like recorded. So it's just a matter of how much he reads. Whatever he reads, he gets it right away. So I made an agreement with him that he comes to our seminar. I said, oh, that's going to be the best seminar in history. Never had such a giant in a seminar. Every day before the seminar, I used to call him, you're coming, right? Don't worry about the money. I paid the money. You just come. The morning of the seminar, I called his roommate, said, ah, no, he was fooling you. He flew to Florida today. He's not in New York anymore. He left New York. I never found him ever. I was very excited. Tonight he's going to come. No. I, I searched him in Google, everything. I just found, I found that this name Kuczynski was big rabbis in the past. Maybe he's their descendants. I don't know. Bottom line, not religious guy, a brain like this, computer, everything he hears, he remembers. So this is the 11th Mishnah. We're starting the 12th Mishnah. Actually, the 13th Mishnah is starting. Four different kinds of donators. People who give tzedakah. Let's see where we are. Someone, he wants to give all the tzedakah, and he doesn't want to give a chance to any other Jew to give tzedakah. Which means he comes to the shul, they say we need a thousand dollars to fix uh, uh, the air condition of the shul. So, we want to collect money from all the audience. So he said, No, no, here, I give the whole amount. Ah, give the Jews another, maybe a chance. They give $100 each. They participate in the mitzvah. Right away, jump. Or uh, a Jew is in jail. They need $100,000. So they want to make a meeting between 20 millionaires that each one will give a part and they take the money and, re- and redeem the Jew from the goim. So he said to the rabbi, Don't bother. Here is a check for the whole amount, go to get them out. Technically it's good, no? Very generous, he wants to do a mitzvah. Apparently it's not so simple. We used to have an unbelievable, big, huge, giant rabbi, his name was Rav Yonatan Ivshitz, more than 200 years ago. He wrote a very famous book, it's called Ya'arot Vash. One time, he was learning with a Hevruta. He has a friend that they were learning together. This was a Jew, redhead. Redhead, they have hot temper usually, redhead people. So his friend, he sees that across the street from the yeshiva, the Christians building a church. He went crazy when he saw that, right? In front of us, they couldn't find another place. Now from the window every day, I'm going to see their cross in front of my eyes. He said, I will not let something like this happen. So Rav Yonatan asked him, what are you planning to do? He said, I'm going to climb on a roof, just when they stick that cross, I'll bring my sword and i cut it. So he told him, you got to be careful. What do you think? They don't expect such a thing? They may be making a trap over there. Maybe they have a guard. Don't mess with them. One day, the rabbi comes in the morning to the yeshiva, his chevruta didn't show up. Now this is a guy that never missed a minute. See every time he came to learn right away he knew something happened few hours later the church sent them a messenger and uh, no the, the the person that is watching the church they have a guard there like a doorman he's in charge, he's in maintenance over there he comes, he knocks on their door Rabbi, Rabbi, I gotta tell you something you know this is Gingy, this redhead guy that you have here in this yeshiva last night they were waiting for him on the roof. He came to cut the cross. They put a sack on his head. They tie him. And they hid him inside the basement all the way in the bottom of the church. And they're going to kill him. I know where he's hiding, where, where they hid him. And I know where they're going to kill him. And I'm watching there for many years in this church. And if you want to save the Jew, I want 100,000 rubles. Like 100,000 dollars today. You get me $100,000, he's going to be released, but you're not going to be able to keep him in town. Once I release him, you have to send him far away, that they won't know where he is. So the rabbi told him, okay, thank you very much, how how long do I have? He said, maybe two, three days to get the money, because they're planning to take him to kill him one day. So the rabbi said to all the guys in Yeshiva, everybody close the Gemara, we have an emergency here, our friend is captured, what can we do? We have to raise hundred thousand rubles. Everybody goes to every Jewish house in town, knock on doors, start collecting money. We must release him. So the rabbis see, first day, they hardly nobody brought anything yet. Second day, not nothing. I said tomorrow is the last day before they kill the guy. You know his wife when they got married, her parents gave her X amount of money. And she put it in a safe. So he said, what am I going to do? If I tell my wife, I take away all their life saving, going to be a disaster. All their jewelry, everything. I won't tell her. It's a life risk. nefesh. Let me first save the guy, and then I worry about the problem. He took all the money into the jewelry. He came to that Christian. He said, listen, this is what I got. You, you're willing to release him with this money? So they go and look at that. He said, okay, give me everything. He gave him everything in a sack. The guy took it, an hour later, the, that guy, they released him, and he said, right away, go out of town. The next day, all the guys came from all over with money. They collected money. What happened? Rav Yonatan was afraid from his wife that she finds out. So he said, you know what, let me go also with this guy for a week. I'll help him, I'll take him to another town. By the time I come back, she'll relax. She'll relax. You know, now she's going to find out. It should, there's no phone calls like today. The wife calls you every two minutes. Moshe, I need to talk now. I'll kill you. Eh? No, leave me alone. I'll come home tonight, we'll talk. No, no, you talk now. Eh, I'm sitting with the, in a bank. I'm here, I'm, I'm in class. I don't care. You know, it's a, it's a problem. So what happened? He said, when I come back in a week, she'll relax. A week later, he comes back. It's nervous. She's waiting with a machine gun. (laughs) Then he sees. He comes into the house. She's dancing. Dancing, singing. Never so so happy. So what happened? You think you're a wise guy, huh? Cow, cow. You wanted to fool me, huh? You took all my money. We are rich people. So we are rich. We left with nothing. I have all the money we had. He said, no, 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 come, come. She came, she showed him a huge barrel full of diamonds, full of gold, full of cash, fortune. He said, what's this? He said, after he left, the priest across the street, they knew who is the guy who released the Jew. So they said, you know what, you release the Jew, we'll kill you for that Jew. So they gave him until the evening to do his last errands before they kill him. So since this guy was a thief, all the years he stole money from people in a locker room. He steals a watch, he steals money, he steals this. Over the years he has a treasure. Now you know he's not married. Over there they're not, not Allah to get married. So he's, he's lonely in the world and going to kill him and he has a treasure. So he, he started to think, who would I give this treasure to? I got to give it to this righteous Jew that he gave his wife money and jewelry to save his friend. He's the only one deserved to get the treasure. So he knocked on my door. A day after you left, I was upset, sitting on the floor, getting, getting ready to kill you. Then when it came, I said, everything my husband does, he always knows the best. <laughs> so now, if you're the husband, what would you do in that situation? You're so great. You never let me down. You're the best. I have to make a party to say the miracles to everyone. Right? What did Rav Yonatan do? Fell on the floor and started to cry. Pulling his hair, crying. So what happened to you? Crazy, get up. So you don't understand, huh? He said, what? He said, Hashem did not like my mitzvah. She said, why did not like So If he would like my mitzvah, he wouldn't pay me in this world. He would pay me in the next life for eternity. Since he wasn't so happy for my mitzvah, he paid me right away cash. And why he wasn't happy for my mitzvah? Because I was greedy. I wanted to do it all on my own, without partners. I didn't wait for them to bring their money. To redeem a Jew is a very important mitzvah. You're allowed to sell a Sefer Torah from it. They're allowed to sell a Sefer Torah for it, just to release a Jew. If they last Sefer Torah in town, no Sefer Torah in shuls. You sell it, you take the money and you release the Jew from a prison. We Jew, a Jew that is not a thief that goes from another Jew to another and steals their money. If, if he's in prison, it's better to keep him there forever, to protect the other Jews. If he's a murderer, it's better to keep him in prison forever. If he's a guy who lives with his wife without mikveh, without t'arat mishpacha, there's no permission to release him. You're only allowed to release him knowing he's keeping t'arat mishpacha. If he doesn't want, what's the point of releasing him that he's gonna make his surekaret. karet? It's better that he's separated from her. Now they both not making sins. Only, there's, there's, everything has halacha, you know, you just don't go by your heart, you go by the sechel, by the brain. So Avionah Ta'an taught us a lesson. If Hashem pays you for the mitzvah right away, don't be so happy, my friend. The reward for next life is a billion, trillion times better. It's endless. He paid you here, maybe it wasn't perfect. Maybe you didn't do it for the real mitzvah. Maybe you did it for the ego. To get a good name, you wanted to brag. You wanted people to do more business with you. They see you generous. There's a lot of reasons. Sometimes, sometimes a woman makes a sheva brachot to her friend that got married, and everyone is impressed. Wow, the eshet chai! Look how much food she cooked for three days. She works, and this whole mitzvah is nothing. Why? She didn't do it for her. She did it for herself. It's a very nice show off. Everybody will see I'm the best cook in town. They're going to see my beautiful house, the new chandelier we just got. You know, they see the new car in the driveway. She already calculated everything. It's a chance finally to put my 10-carat diamond that my husband got me for our anniversary. So Hashem says, ah, mitzvah. Eshet chayil, brachot. Beloni. It's the ego show-off. It's not a mitzvah, nothing. You understand? So this is it. so... He doesn't want anybody to give. Let me only do. Let's call He had a narrow eye. eye in Sarah. A second category. A person that wants everybody else to give but he will never give a penny. Give, give, Moshe. It's a great yeshiva. Give, trust me. It's great. What about you? Did you give? No, you know, business is tough right now. <laughs> Business is booming. Yeah, you give, you give. Give, give. You know, there's great CDs. Believe me, it makes a lot of people religious. I know one guy like this. He tried to convince a lot of people. But what about you? Never a penny, nothing. <laughs> Why? It's like a, a doctor that tells his patients, don't smoke, it's horrible. And then a minute later, he sees him in the hallway in the hospital smoking. What's the point? So, he wants everybody else to give, but he doesn't want to give. The third category, he wants everybody to give, and he wants to give even more than them. Encourage other people to give. This is a very good thing, because sometimes a person can make donations, even when he's broke. A person that has zero money in his pocket, zero money in his bank account, zero money in his save, zero, completely zero. Or even all money to people. is a negative balance, like most Americans are. Somebody like this, how can he give tzedakah? He doesn't have what to give. The answer is he can give more than the billionaires. How? If he convinces wealthy people to give, everything they give thanks to his efforts, counts in Shammai that he gave more. If you have a rich friend or brother or cousin or neighbor or father-in-law, whatever, somebody that you have influence on, and you came and convinced him to give money to a rabbi, to a Jew, to save Jews, to yeshiva, whatever, to good cause, and he agreed and he wrote a check. If he gave a million dollars in Shamayim count, you gave more than a million. 100%, literally. Not maybe like, no. The Gemara says someone who makes other Jews do mitzvot, they get their full reward, and he gets a little more than them. So if you make a Jew put Phil in today, it counts like you put one and a half times. If you made him give a million, it counts like you give a million plus. How much plus? Hashem knows, I don't know. But you gave more than him. You give nothing, it could be a phone call. You convince him to give, whatever he gave, it counts 100% like you gave. It's amazing, it's very good. You can be broke all your life and give more tzedakah than anybody you can think of. You know, Speaking about this, you know Bill Gates. Everybody knows him. Bill Gates is a very big tzaddik. He's a goy. Very big tzaddik. Why? He convinced 43 billionaires to sign on a guarantee that they will give in their lifetime more than half of their wealth to charity. He convinced Warren Buffett that together they worth more than $100 billion, both of them together, Bill Gates already gave 17 billion dollars from his 60 billion dollars in his life, and he continued to give. And he swore that before he dies, he would leave only 10 million dollars to his children. That's it. Everything else he gives to charity. That's Bill Gates. And Warren Buffett also got involved, and both of them together convinced, I saw the list, 43 billionaires, big shots, all famous all over the world, to give more than half of the wealth to charity, wow. it got us into serious problems. We are the Jews. We give 10%, 15%, we go crazy. Rabbi, oh I give so much. Am I allowed to give more? <laughs> Look at this goyim, 17 billion, 10 billion. Ah, not one hour that they don't write a check with, with six, seven digits understand what's going on? One time they asked him in an interview, What's your secret of your success? This goy, goy, What does he know? He doesn't know Torah. What did he say? I believe that the more I do for others, I'm more blessed in my businesses. <laughs> no, you see what's going on here. And that's the truth. That's the way it is. There's one guy in Muncie. I don't want to say his name, because I don't have permission to say his name. But he deserves that his name will be in every place in the world. He's so generous and such a good person that every person that has any kind of problem stands by his house, by his door, by his office, by the shul where he prays. He has to give. He always gave. To everybody. Thousands of people over the years. One after the other. Some of them he sent monthly checks. Some, every person will get minimum $20. He doesn't know who you are. One second, here, take 20, goodbye. To everyone, 120, write checks, has charities, funds, and it was growing, it's like a meteor, meteor you know, like growing like a, like, like hard to believe how quick this person started from a little ancient to become a bank and a giant and a mortgage company and own real estate, like a tycoon. Then the crash came, the real estate crash. All the real estate big shots collapsed overnight. A month before the collapse, when business was still booming, he sold his company for a few hundred million dollars. The collapse came, the people who bought it from him, two months later, the value of their company went down to 20 million, hundreds of millions. Hashem saved him. Almost everybody else got wiped out to zero. But he got saved. Hashem sends him back everything extra. Nobody, Gemara said, nobody ever become poor from giving tzedakah. You can become poor from stealing, from being mechalel Shabbat, from not being nice to your wife, from being a crook. Yes, that makes you poor for sure. It takes away from your blessing, from your income. But from giving... You can only become richer or stay the same. But never go back, never. No matter how much you give, you're always going to stay either the same or more. But never go back. That's a guarantee. Guarantee in the Torah. Le'olam en adam Never a person can become more poor from giving tzedakah. Never. So, the next Mishnah. Four kinds of people, four kinds of different people who goes to learn Torah in Yeshiva. Some students, they go to the yeshiva, but they really don't learn. Cigarettes, coffee, telephone every minute, text message, bathroom, go in, lunch time. All days in yeshiva, 20 minutes he learned. Believe me, there are students like this. What does he get reward for? For the walking. Back and forth, he gets rewarded. Because he didn't learn. Walking there, coming back on a donkey, on a horse, walking with his feet, he gets reward for the walk. Somebody who, li- who lives right next door to the yeshiva he doesn't have to walk. Remember, in the old days, it wasn't like today. You get into your Mercedes, and a minute later, you're there. No, you want to go learn Torah? You walk ten hours, twenty hours. What do you think the is across the street? You have to climb mountains. Your donkey dies in the middle. Ah, you have to replace his leg. <laughs> <laughs> So if he's lucky, the yeshiva is right across the street. He gets the reward for the learning, but no walking reward. Reward you don't have, because he didn't walk. Very good. Somebody who walks a lot to get to the yeshiva, lots of efforts, rain, snow, humidity, sweating, and also learning very serious, doesn't lose a minute when he gets there. It's called Hasid. Perfect. Do not go and do not learn. Not only he doesn't go even in his house, he doesn't touch a book. Nothing. A complete loser. That's called rasha. Doesn't learn, not, not going to learn, and not learning in his own house, that's called rasha. Wicked. Four different kinds of students sitting in front of a preacher, rabbi that teach them Torah, four different kinds of categories. One is like a sponge. Sponge. What's special about sponge? A sponge, everything, liquid around it, it's like a magnet. It goes right in it. It absorbs everything. One, it's like mashpech. You know what mashpech is? You put water in it and you go give water to the plants. It has holes in it and it falls like rain. What's the name of it? Sprouder. Watery can. Whatever the name is, doesn't matter. Then one is napal, like a net that you clean the the flower with, and the, and the flower goes down and the stones stay up. And one, it's like a different kind of net. What's what's here? It's like cleaning the grapes from the seeds. You know the seeds and the pills? When you smash the grapes with the rubber uh, rubber boots, you have rubber boots. That's how they make wine. They stand on it for a few hours and all the w- liquid goes down and the net cleans the seeds and the pills. It takes it out. And then only the liquid goes down. What's, what's special about it? Let's see what's the analogy here. The analogy is like this. The sponge, everything goes inside. Clean, dirty, oil, burn oil, all kinds of dirt the sponge take. Which means there are students, everything they hear, they accept it as the truth. They come to this rabbi, he teach them real Torah, they accept it. They come to a phony one who teach them baloney, they also accept it. That's why they, their mind is mixed with a lot of good and bad together. They belong to this cult and they believe in that cult and this guy is God and this guy is Mashiach and you have to go there in Rosh Hashanah and God forbid if you don't go there you're not going to have a share to the world to come. All the baloney that these Jews sell, he buys. He cannot tell the difference between real positive and bad positive. Or he goes to one Chacham that knows the Torah and he goes to another Chacham that knows Torah. But one is a faker and one is real. One, the real one, he doesn't make himself a liyam He doesn't pretend that he's Rabbi Akiva. No, I know a lot of Torah. I learned a lot in my life. I can give you great advice based on the details that you give me, and that's it. I don't see in your forehead, and I don't see in your mezuzah who you are, and all this baloney that they make. If you give me a million dollars, I'm going to make a special thing for you, piliyona nefesh, we have a way... You don't have to come, you just send me your soul, we'll clean the soul for you, and you send it back FedEx. Don't worry, just send the money. Yeah, what's your name? Uh, What's the number of your house? What shoes you wore yesterday? What shoes you wore? i tell you, give me five minutes, I'll tell you what's going on here. Okay, I see a cloud in your house. We have to come in, my student, and make a specialty coon in your house. It's going to be $18,000. You know, this nonsense. You know I mean? many juice fall into this garbage? That's called fog, sponge. <laughs> Whatever you spill, it takes. Not good. Then you have the mashpech. Everything goes out, which means, what does it mean? It's like a pipe. Goes in and goes out. Comes from this ear and goes right away from the other ear. Good, bad, doesn't matter, anyway goes out all of it. He doesn't know anything. 20 years is around. You ask him after 20 years on Shabbat table, give us a five minutes Zvar Torah. I don't know. I can tell you the new Ferrari who came out. <laughs> I can tell you the new, co- the new company that made a lot of money yesterday in Wall Street, but Torah, it's not my territory. That's called Mashpech. Meshameret, that cleans, like I told you before, gets the wine separate between the wine and all the garbage. What's special about the meshameret? Same way. He takes the main thing and gets rid of all the garbage. That's the special net of the grapes. This person is the same. He hears, he knows what part of the lecture is real and what part is nonsense. Right away, no. Oh, that's good. That's halakha, That's real. That's real. That's real. That's baloney. They made it up. That's not true. You have to know. You have to be very clever because a lot of people they give beautiful lectures. The question is if it's real or they made it up or their cult made it up. It's not a part of Judaism. Sometimes they make it up, all kinds of things. You got to be very careful. Then the last thing is Napa. Napa cleans the flowers. What's wrong with the Napa? The flower goes down and the garbage stays. <laughs> From everything he hears, the only things he gets is the garbage. You teach him Gemara, you teach him Halacha. Not a Rabbi. It's not exciting. I want Kabbalah. Where Dr. Berg? You know over there. I'm going go. I'm going with Christine and my dog. We sit over there. Very nice. You know, it's very interesting that guy. When are you doing it on Shabbat? How the Rabbi come? What do you mean? He comes with his car <laughs> on Shabbat. And me and Christine are loving it so much. You know, they gave us a red uh, uh, stripe, you know, that we put around our hand. And it's very special. You know, yesterday you had a birthday. All the movie star came to Israel to say Mazal Tov. I got lucky, you know, I have good friends. You whole was, will share a special suite in Gehenom, in hell. Him and all his friends that got fooled by him. Yes, 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 that's the truth. I have a whole lecture about Kabbalah in my website. Go and listen to it and understand that it's all baloney over there. That's called Napa. Get the bad out and get rid of the good. So the idea in life is always whatever you see, whatever you hear, take the positive, get rid of the negative. Even a goy. A goy says something. He said a lot of garbage. But two or three sentences that I say it's real. No problem, take it out, get rid of the... That's what Rabbi Meir did with his Rebbe, Elisha. Elisha ben Avuya, he was a big Chacham. And what happened in the end? He became a kofir Sduki. He was riding on a horse on Shabbat. Rabbi Meir runs after him, and everything he hears, Mosei Shabbat, he writes. So the Chachamim came to Rabbi Meir and said, Don't you know you're not allowed to learn Torah from a wicked person? He's it's not, it's not a Tzaddik. He's wicked. He went against the law. So I told him, I'm, it's like a pomegranate. I take the seeds, the good art, and I get rid of all the peel. I know what to get from him, what not to get. There's Rabbi Meir Baal We are not in his level to know. So got to be careful who we're learning from. Now, before we finish, time is always short. We have three more minutes, so let's just finish this Mishnah. Every love that is dependable, it depends on something, it's temporary. Once that something is dismissed, the love cancels. A girl wants to marry a guy because he drives a fancy car. What happened? Tomorrow the car is gone, the love is gone with it. There was never love. Her love was to the car. There's no car, no connection between them. He likes her because she has a very special body, Rabbi. You You know, all day she works out. Very good. Five years later, after two babies, two or three babies, She's not what she was seven years ago. Rabbi, it's not what I met seven years ago. Kir, look at the picture. (laughs) You want me to love her? Of course not. He loved her for that. As soon as it's gone, the love disappeared, because there was never love. It was a physical connection. It's very, very common in our time. 99% out of relationship is based on what you give me, and what I give you, it pays for me, or it doesn't pay for me. You go in a profile of all the girls today when they come to the Shiduchim. Almost all of them. I want a guy that he can be supportive, can support a house, can, uh, can afford to buy a house, can afford to buy a car, can afford to buy me this, can afford to buy me this. So why do you need him? Why do you need him? There's other ways to make money. What do you need a husband for? What is this? The marriage is, what can I get from you? I participated once, in a, in, a, in a meeting between a guy and a girl that's about to get married. And the guy, since he was already divorced with a very bitter divorce, and he lost millions of dollars and seven years of tortures, so he wanted to sign an agreement with this girl. It's called prenuptial agreement. I'll give you X amount of money and leave me alone if we ever get divorced. And for every year we we'll be married, I'll give you extra. One year you get this, five years you get this, ten years you get this. You should have seen the negotiation that took place over there. I almost vomit. <laughs> I tell you, I never believed that in my lifetime I will see such a thing. A girl is standing in front of a guy that she's supposed to marry in a month and tell him, I really, Mamash literally, no other ways to describe it, I don't need you, you're garbage for me, I only came for your money, so give me the money, if not there's nothing, I'm not gonna take it. And he said, but I'm giving you a lot of money, you keep all the jewelry, you keep this, <laughs> no, what's gonna happen in 20 years, what's gonna be my security? <laughs> Even a crook has to hide his intention, you know, I mean, it's always, Mamash face to face. <laughs> I I don't need you. I I told one guy that went on a date. I told him, you don't have to go on a date. I knew the girl. I said, don't don't go on a date. Just send your car with your driver. (laughs) So what do you mean? Anyway, she's not going to marry you. She just wants to see what car you have. (laughs) Ah, What an ugly world. Then they wonder why 70% get divorced within four years. They've never been married. I was on an illusion. There's no marriage here. No marriage. No marriage. So, every love that is not dependable, it's not depend on anything, will never be canceled. Why? I married you for who you are. You're a righteous woman. I'm a righteous man. I thought that you're good for me spiritually. You thought that I'm good for you. Whether we be rich, whether we be poor, healthy, sick... A skinny, a heavy, whatever, it's not going to make any difference, because my connection with you was on a real connection. The rest is irrelevant. We reach today, tomorrow we want, doesn't matter. You're skinny today, in five years you want, doesn't matter. The love will never die. The opposite. With the ears it's like wine. It gets better with the ears. You know? That's how you know. You see, after 20 years that a religious couple is married, sometimes you see they are more in love 20 years later. You know, you don't see it by the Goim or by the chilonim. Three hours after the marriage their love begins to die. Not uh, three years. Three hours! It's the first fight already in a hotel. What's happened? He doesn't let me finish a sentence. Tomorrow morning she runs to her, her father. Whatever. So, Gemara gives an example. Amnon and Tamar made sins together. That's a at t'loya badavar. He liked her beauty and he ended up make, destroying them. And real love, Ahavah David ve Jonathan, two buddies, two friends willing to die, one for each other. Yonatan goes against his father, King Shaul, that runs after King David to kill him. Yonatan is like an inside spy, why he knows David is right. And he's risking his own life to protect David HaMelech. That's called, it's like two friends that sometimes, you know, one king, he wanted to kill a Jew. So they take the Jew to execution. And his friend says, "My, my friend wants to go and say goodbye to his family, to his wife, children for the last time. But don't worry, you can let him go, keep me instead of him. By tomorrow, 5 o'clock, he will be back. you do the execution tomorrow. Because they ask the people before they execute him what's the last request you have? So he said, I just want to go to say to my wife that I'm going to get killed. She doesn't even know where I am. So he said, okay, you can stay instead of him. But tomorrow you've got to be here by 5. If not, we kill your friend and then we start searching for you. So no problem. So the friends come in, they put him in jail. 4:59. His friend's not showing up. Everyone's waiting. Wow, what a nerve he has not to show up. <laughs> Five o'clock. your friend didn't come. My friend, get ready. They put the rope around his head. Just a, a, a second. They're about to push him from the chair. His friend screams, "Here I am." 5:05. So the king says, "I'm very sorry. We have to kill him. That's was the deal. You don't show up, we kill him." So he said, no, 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 kill me. So the other guy said, no, 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 don't kill him. You're right, you have to kill me. <laughs> Usually it's the opposite. Kill him, it's not fair. I was only your collateral, you know. Well, why, I'm innocent. I just... No, no, kill me. The other guy, no, 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 it's not fair. You have to kill me. So the king is looking like this. Kill me, no, kill me, kill me. So the king said, wait a minute, something is not right here. So he said to them, I want to speak to you in my office. They went inside and this... After the king saw what friendship they have He said, you know what, not only I don't kill you I want to be your body also Can you put me in your group? I never had a friend like this in my whole life Kill me, no, kill me <laughs> <laughs> He got it So this is what it says <laughs> When Hashem is satisfied from you Your enemies will bow down to you You think they can touch you Can only hurt you when, you, when you're guilty if you clean, not the cop can pull you over, not your wife can make you problems, nothing. You have problems, that means you're guilty of something. Remember this. Every disagreement that is not for the sake of heaven. Ego, jealousy, gossip, you know, why he should get the job, is much better, it's not fair, it's racism, he goes to the news, he makes a lot of noise. I want justice. Belloni. Your ego got hurt, so you want to kill him. That's called machloket shalole shem shamayim. Fight against him, fight against her. This machlokot has no blessing in them. They will bring tragedies, nothing good. And sofalit kayem. You won't achieve anything. You can talk against him for 10 years, gossip, you go against him, you write against him, you force people not to be his friend, it won't help you. In the end, you will drown and he will come up. Guarantee. What? But every Machloket L'Shem every argument for the sake of heaven, for the truth, not for my stomach or for my pocket, for the truth. That's the truth. I don't want mixed dancing there. I care about Hashem, not for me. They hurt me, they didn't invite me, no. For the truth. Machloket like this, disagreement like this is blessed. And you'll be successful sooner or later you will be. What? Like Machloket Bet Shammai and Bet Hillel. Bet Shammai and Bet Hillel had many strong arguments. Sometimes the student went into fights. Fist fights. Rabbi is hating each other for the truth of the Gemara. Now they hate each other. And tomorrow they, ma- they marry their children. But when they were in the yeshiva, Ritcha the fire of the Torah, throw chairs. No, that's the truth. This is the halacha. Why? I care what Hashem really meant. Let's call machloket leshem shamayim. Machloket she'ena leshem shamayim, which disagreement is not for the sake of even Korach that convinced 250 rabbis to come with him against Moshe. <coughs> What's going on with you? Didn't you see Hashem nominate Moshe and Moshe speaks in the name of Hashem? Ma, but it's ego. What? Moshe is the king. His brother Aaron is the high priest, Cohen, and we are nothing. I'm richer than them. I know Torah just as much as them. I'm from the same tribe. I'm also from Shevet Levi. They got everything. I got nothing. But don't you see that Hashem is with them? Hashem decided you get nothing. Be quiet. No. I'll go to the end. The end? You'll be buried. Until today he stands in hell and screams, Moshe Emed Emed. That was his punishment. Kol Someone. Someone who influenced the public to make mitzvot. Teaching them Torah, making them religious. Uh, uh, making the Shlom in their house, teaching them manners, you know, etc., etc. And Chet Baal yado, Hashem protects him from all kinds of tests that he will fail. Protects him, special protection, why? If he will become wicked by not passing certain tests, and his students that became religious will be in a higher level than him, they go to heaven and he goes to hell, Is disrespect for the Torah. That the rabbi goes to hell and his students go to heaven. So Hashem has to protect him extra. He's about to fall with his woman. Police all of a sudden showed up. Which would not happen to somebody else, right? He was about to make a scene. He was about to rob a bank. It was about whatever you want. Hashem sends a special guard to ruin his plan. He thinks, oh, bad luck. <laughs> then Hashem says, I just send I send wa Navi to send you. Why? Why? Because you do for others, I want to do for you. mahti tarabim, someone who influenced the public to make scenes. Come, I make a mixed party, disco, I'm a DJ. I made a new bad movie. Come buy my movie. Come to see me playing with soccer on Shabbat in a stadium. Come with your car, you know, all these things that they do. All these athletes and sports and, and uh, you know, all kinds of people, musicians, whatever you want to call it. When he come one day to make tshuva, repentance, it will be almost impossible for him. Why? You made so many Jews not religious. You want to be a tzaddik now? They all go to hell, and you go to heaven? Not so fast. Not so fast, my friend. You're gonna have to go through a lot of efforts and agony. Maybe you'll have the merits to make tshuva. Moshe zikat arabim. Moshe influenced millions to make tshuva. The nation of Israel. Moshe Zacha, Vezikat Arabim, Arabim, kluya Beyado. Everything that they did goes to Moshe's account. Why? Sheneemar, Hashem, Mishpatavim, Israel. Navat was also knowledgeable in Torah. He was a king. But he made the Jews worship idols because of his ego. He didn't want them to go to Yerushalayim to see Rechavam sitting on the chair of the king. So he told them, You don't have to go to Beit HaMikdash you stay here, we put two idols, your worship over there. Yeruvam chata v'ekhti et ha'akhirim. He made other make sins. All their sins goes to his account. She al chatot yerovam ben Navat asher chata ichti et Yisrael. Everything that he's chata, he committed sins, goes to his account. Everything that he made them make sins also goes to his account. We have to decide if we want to be on this side and on the next side. Okay, we couldn't finish the Perek. I did my best to try to finish it. We have a few more Mishnayot. Another 10-15 minutes we'll be able to finish the chapter. So Be'ezrat Hashem next week we'll be able to finish the fifth chapter and start the last chapter of Pirkei Avot. Thank you very much for coming. We'll see you next Monday. Thank you.